Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. All right, welcome to On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, home of Conservative Talk Radio, where we're giving it to you straight, no chaser. And today, Tiffany, we have a very special guest. We have our, I would say, our co-host. I want to always say Reg is our tri-host here. That's what we'll add him in here today. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tiffany. Reg I want is you- a great host. <laughs> Tiff, I want you to introduce our guest who also has a program here on 930 AM as well. I'll go ahead and get started with you. Go ahead. So we have with us Dr. Marion Pinkston. And I think she's one of the best examples of what a person can do who has fortitude. She's not just a doctor, but she's been a patient herself. Uh, She found herself going into renal failure and she weighed 300 pounds and decided, nope, I'm not going to do this and changed her entire life. I mean, this person went from uh, a bunch of comorbidities and staring down the barrel of dialysis and then through sheer fortitude and science, because she happened to be a part of, of the scientific community, she studied it and looked at what she could do and changed this herself. And not only did she change her life, but then she went on to help her patients too. So this is Dr. Marianne Pinkston. Oh, Tiffany, thank you. It's always so nice to hear uh, hear back things like that. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, lady, I hope you end up, uh, the rest of the world gets to know you because, uh, I mean, I'm glad that you are a practicing physician. I just want there to be a thousand more Marianne's out there. That would be wonderful. Absolutely. You know, it is uh, you say fortitude. Fortitude is something I think I had to learn how to do over a long period of time. It was such a process. Um, I, I think that my passion really stems from the fact that I was so sick and I could not get a lot of the doctors who were my friends, uh, so to speak, and peers here in the city, that I could not get them to diagnose me correctly and uh, lead me down the right path. So what do you do? You just go figure it out yourself. And uh, that's what I did. So you're right. Now I now I very, uh, very well intended to send that through to my patients and try to save some lives in that regard as well. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Like, you know, because we talk about this all the time as patients, that there is a problem in terms of communication and to hear that you were going through the same thing. Right. You're going through the same thing that the rest of us are going through. Absolutely. I I think that's what uh, struck me the most. First of all, I was listening to my patients uh, describe, you know, their lives and what they were feeling and experiencing. And I was experiencing the same thing. But yet all of my training of, you know, medical school and residency wasn't wasn't footing the bill. It wasn't solving anything. I didn't have any answers for people. So first of all, I wanted to find those answers, not just for them, but for me as well. And, but to go through and actually, you know, talk to some of my peers and the, the fourth person I saw still was not diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. The fourth doctor that I saw uh, suggested that I see a psychiatrist. And I just, you know, I, I saw stars for a moment. I thought, are you, are you really? I, I'm a physician. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you want me to see a psychiatrist? I'm like, if you're telling me that, what are you telling your patients? So <laughs> yeah, that blew my mind. And I know people go through that all the time. I know they do. Yeah. So that was my, I swore right then I was not going to do that any longer to my patients. And I really had to dig deep to go find some answers. So what I did was I joined into integrative medicine. So a lot of people don't really understand integrative medicine. Uh, you know, contemporary medicine is what I learned in medical school and what I went to residency for as a family practitioner. And most of the time we're embedded in 50-year-old medicine, 50-year-old guidelines. And we try to incorporate a lot of new medicines and guidelines as the pharmaceutical industry directs us a bit. And it's not all that bad, but it is. 
And we get a list of recipes and algorithms that we tend to give patients. And if they don't fit in that recipe or algorithm, well, then, you know, and we have punt next doctor. You know, I can't figure it out. Go see somebody else. So uh, integrative medicine, most people think of as more of a holistic type of uh, style of medicine, you know, use a lot more of natural therapies and treatments and diet and exercise and things like that. And although that's true, I think if you look at both sides of medicine, contemporary or holistic, each one can make mistakes and go off in, in an extreme direction. So what integrative uh, medicine tends to do, and some people call it functional medicine, but what integrative uh, stands to do is bring the contemporary side and the holistic side together and integrate them so that we are using the best of both worlds to get the maximum amount of information that we can to you know, help our patients and, and try to do the right thing and mainly just go from what is wrong and get to the basis of it and fix what's wrong, not just Band-Aid you know, symptoms and try to just give them a, give them a pill, so to speak. Oh, I like that. Um, what was the rheumatoid arthritis a contributing factor to the kidney problem? Um, yeah. That's, that's what it was? Yeah. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune illness and meaning that my body is attacking itself. And, you know, there wasn't really a strong, you know, genetic component in my family, but I think that it was exposure to maybe some toxins in the house or something turned a gene on in my body. I developed rheumatoid arthritis. So in that four years of trying to figure out what was wrong, I didn't have a diagnosis yet. I had to work. I mean, I'm having children. I'm, you know, own my own business. I'm seeing patients. I'm, you know, trying to get involved in the community and, you know, do all the things that people do. And I'm in pain, terrible, horrible pain. You know, my you know, joints are all swollen. I can barely walk and get out of bed. Sometimes there were days where I would sit in the shower, uh, you know, for 20 minutes until the water ran cold, just saying, I got to go to work. I got to go to work. It was miserable. So what did I do? I turned to Advil. So Advil, you know, doctor heal thyself, uh, Advil, I would take anywhere from 800 to 1200 milligrams every six hours sometimes. And I did that for four years. Um, like I say, I didn't have, you know, many doctors to look in on me and try to help me with, uh, with my pain. So uh, I'm trying to take care of myself in the end, you know, as an anti-inflammatory Advil is ibuprofen. It's an NSAID or a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Well, that is, that is very difficult and very hard for the kidneys on a long-term basis. So for four years, I pounded my kidneys. Not only that, I was on a lot of steroid medications. So steroids tend to, we're not talking about the you know, steroids that bodybuilders, you know, take. These are legitimate prednisone, uh, you know, medical steroids. I took so much of that that I just kept gaining weight, kept gaining weight. And when I got up to probably about 225 or so, I developed diabetes. So I had blood pressure problems, diabetes. So I had all of these factors with inflammatories that uh, pounded my kidneys very, very quickly and I could just see the degradation. I was watching it myself and I could just see the degradation, but I couldn't get anybody to help me, you know, to turn it around. So I just had to do what I had to do. But I definitely, I definitely almost killed myself doing that. And it's a, that was a terrible thing to do. But when you're desperate, you sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. It's hard. Right, right. So what was the turning point? What was it that you said, you know, okay, I'm going to change. And then how did you change? Right. Was it just gradually or did you cold turkey? You know, there is, um, there's kind of several stages to it, I think. The first stage was finally finding a physician that believed me. And that is Dr. Pendleton Wickersham. I do not mind a shout out uh, on this gentleman. He is an amazing human being and physician and took me very seriously. And I've been with him ever since. So he helped me to get diagnosed and get on the appropriate medications. And, you know, that's been, that's been a whirlwind. I've, I've been on so many different biologics and, and medicines that, you know, probably kill a small horse, uh, but I've had to do again what I've had to do to control the disease. After gaining so much weight, I think that was, um, you know, the diabetes and all that, that was in the, facing the kidney issue. I, I didn't want to die. I mean, I, I, nobody wants 
to, you know, die specifically, but sometimes um, you're either so miserable that you just really can't see the forest for the trees, uh, just, you know, trying to survive. But uh, Dr. Wickersham helped me realize that I was literally killing myself, you know, living with the obesity and the diabetes. And, and, you know, I had young children at the time and I wanted to be here for my practice. I mean, I've got a lot of dreams and things I want to do. So I kind of faced that I needed to make some changes. He actually was one of the largest parts of getting me to take care of the weight. And so there was a moment, it was uh, 2016, it was about December of 2016 when I, I remember walking around the, out of the gate, the side of the car, and I got in my car, and I was so short of breath. I was 300 pounds and so short of breath, and I just said, that's it. I don't want to live like this anymore. Now, I spent 13 years overweight to obese, and what it was at that moment, I have no idea. And this is very common among people who you know wind up dropping a lot of weight is you just reach this moment. I mean, I'd lost 60, gained 70, lost 40, gained 50, you know, just yo-yo back and forth, back and forth, doing all the wrong things, trying to get all the quick fixes, you know, what we all do. But there was that moment where I just sat down and I said, that's it. I I have to take control of this. I don't want to live like this anymore. And it literally was like a light switch. I just flipped it on. And six years later, here I say, 170 pounds lighter. It just, it just had to happen. That's hard to explain. And, and that's that's kind of easy for um, a person with uh, rheumatoid arthritis or any kind of pain, you know, whether it's football injuries, knees, or whatever it is. You know, that that can cause a lot of weight gain, which weight gain causes other problems. You know, okay. so. Yeah, yeah. So when you're in pain, you know, a lot of times you don't feel like getting up, moving around, exercising, and you just sit around because you see so much pain. So I, I cannot get about that because I have bad knees and stuff. So, but I found other ways to, you know, work out, you know, for swimming pool and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you are so right. The chronic pain aspect is is a huge one. The, you know, the type of uh, arthritis you have, kind of the bone on bone is a very, very, very painful and very difficult to treat. And the type of arthritis I have of just super amounts of inflammation and fluid and eventually bone on bone, which is where, where I am with a couple of my joints now. But, you know, I tell my patients who, who, you know, kind of look at weight loss or getting into shape and trying to get healthy, I tell them it's really 80 to 90 percent what you eat. And what you're doing, what you're, you know, just being a little bit active, but what you are putting in your mouth and in your system, the 10 to 20% then is the exercise on top of that. And it does depend on the type of exercise. I do a lot more of weight training than I do cardio. The style of weight training that I do, though, is more circuit. So I do, I do exercises several in a row and just flip through them and repeat them so that I'm always moving and not taking a rest in between. And that gets my heart rate up. What I tell my patients on top of that, yes, I'm in a lot of pain, but you know what? It's that first two or three, maybe five minutes when I get started. After that, I tell them motion is lotion. You work out the, you know, inflammation and the soreness and the stiffness, and that works out. And then I can move a lot better. And I find when I've been exercising for over five years very steadily now, five days, four to five days a week, and I find if I take a break, like I had a surgery, a, a procedure done, and I had to take three or four weeks off, I found I was a mess. My pain was worse. My stiffness and swelling was all worse. When I got back into it and just started moving again and building up again, I felt so much better. My joints were better. My swelling was better. Uh, it was along with the foods, too. If I eat very poorly, then that adds to the, the swelling, the autoimmune component of it, and the swelling and the water weight and, and things like that. So people really don't understand it. And you said it perfectly that you just found something else. You know, maybe you can't do it this way anymore. You just, all of this with the weight loss, with the disease, you know, trying to find a treatment with, you know, trying to figure out ways of getting around pain and working out. All of those things are obstacles. And I refuse to accept that as my stopping point. I have to look past my obstacles, whatever it is. It could be very simple. 
but I'm not going to stop right there. An obstacle is there to be moved out of the way. So I'll just figure out something else. Just like you said, Reginald. Just like up that. over like hurdles, you know, because I tell yeah. people once you go to the gym, once you once you get up out, out of the house, go to the gym and close the door behind you, then you will do what you have to do. That's you right. know, that's the only the main thing is is just getting up and go. That's it. You got if, it. if you get up and go and close once I get up and go and close the door behind me in the gym, I'm good. I know I'm gonna do something better than what I what I was doing just sitting around the house. So. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. seems like a good spot. Tell you, like we said about eating, the the like I noticed when I when I put sugar in my body, my knees hurt more. Thank you. And my joints hurt more. When I don't, man, I could walk all day, I could run all day and do all that all the things that I can't do when I when I eat sugar. And and that's what I notice about what I eat, you know. So if if sometimes the people just sit back and pay attention to what their body says on, on, on what type of food that you put in your body, mm-hmm. you'll know what not to eat and what to eat. Yes, it's absolutely true. That is a good I love that. Big enemy to me. All right. I can't even use my, my shoulders have, you know, it hurts. But when I don't eat it, oh man, I can I can eat a loud man all day. <laughs> Use your poison, right? Use your poison. Sugar is not your friend. All right, and you've been listening to an episode of On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, home of conservative talk radio. We are doing a special campaign at Texas Kidney Foundation to get your kidneys checked. It is called Silent But Deadly because kidney disease is a silent but deadly killer. And we need you to go to our website, silentbutdeadly.org, take a 12-question test, and we will send you a kit to your house. Get your kidneys checked at silentbutdeadly.org. You know, it is, it, it changed me. It changed me. And I, I basically tell people that with all of these diseases, I mean, I had cancer too, and, you know, so many other things with all of these things and obstacles that I've had, I feel like they were almost given to me, you know, by whatever deity you, you believe in to make me a better person and a, a more empathetic doctor. You know, the way that I was going beforehand, I really didn't, I I was, I guess I was like every other physician where I feel like, you know, the more holistic medicine is quack medicine. You know, there's no science to it. And, and that's actually complete the opposite. When I learned, uh, you know, going through some conferences, when I learned about holistic medicine, supplements and dieting, the diets and exercise and things like that. The science behind it was overwhelming. And this is not what is presented to us in medical school and residency. Again, I always say it, what I learned in medical school and residency is 50-year-old medicine. We've learned so much more since then. And doctors, you know, get busy. We don't really go to other conferences. Um, You know, we don't do a lot of continued learning. We kind of stay in our bubble but I was like, that was one of the obstacles when, when I was treated, you know, kind of poorly by my peers. That was one of the obstacles I wanted to overcome. It's like, well, if you don't know and you're not comfortable treating patients, well, then that's a sign we need to do something else. We, we need to find another answer. I mean, how many people are going to come sit in front of you that you're going to say, uh, I don't know, and let walk out your door before you're like, okay, it's my responsibility to know and to figure it out. That's the way I look at patients. I just I look at when somebody is, is sitting down in front of me, what if that's me sitting there? What if that's my mom sitting there, my child? And some doctor goes, um, I don't know. Okay, it's been 10 minutes and I'm working on my computer, got to go. How does that make you feel? And so, you know, given all of these obstacles that I've run into, I feel like has just made me more aware that I do, I took on an oath, I took on a job and my job is going to be to sit and figure it out and study and go until I do find answers. Um, you know, being, uh, I think doctors these days are very burnt out. I think we are, we've been so hit by the insurance, you know, system. Um, we're also 
you know, being uh, treated very differently by a lot of patients who feel like, well, I'll just go read on the internet or I heard this study or my friend said on Facebook or things like that. You know, it is almost insulting from time to time to sit in front of people who are like, oh, my, my mom's a nurse and I read this on the Internet. And I, I don't believe what you're saying. People will confront you like that and say things like that. And it just it, it's a, a total disregard for your 23 years of, of uh, learning and extra study and your illness on top of that, you know, that you've tried to do and give it your best. So, you know, doctors are getting more and more burned out. I also think that the system as as a nation is also uh, very, um, there's a lot of stigma about integrative or functional medicine, and we really need, uh, uh, I think the, the system tries to drive us into more algorithms and guidelines uh, to treat everybody kind of the same and to support the pharmaceutical system. And there is not a lot of room for the art of medicine, the free thinking, the, the try this, to work with your patient, to listen. You know, you can't spend the time you want to with people. You know, you're always in a hurry. There's too much paperwork. And so, you know, there are all of those factors, I think, that play a role in making, you know, doctors, the doctors that they are today. And I, again, I just thought it was my responsibility to overcome that. I don't want to be that type of physician, no matter what the insurance or government or anybody else says that's that's not why i got into this so it may be a little simplistic from my you know point of view but it's been a battle to stay in the game and take care of people the way i'm supposed to i believe that because we run into doctors all the time that um they're the opposite of you Mm -hmm. they're in they're in the system and it's running the way they want it to run, which is let's let's get these people in and out yeah. and uh, figure out what we can bill for. And that's it. You know, then they're, they're not actually there to heal. They're there to take care of people while they're sick, which is much different from healing there's, there's a corporate side if you don't mind me saying there's a corporate side to medicine i know that i run my own show here i own my own business there is not a uh, a corporate uh, leader uh, you know breathing down my neck about am i following these strict guidelines am i seeing this many patients am i you know am i doing all of those more administrative uh things I own my own business. I can make my own decision. I can pick up a phone and and yell at somebody at the insurance company. Hey, I want them to have this medicine. It's indicated. I'm a doctor. You need to put this person on the medicine and fight for them. But so many physicians now can't fight the system. And we do have to see 30, 40 people a day because our paychecks are, you know, 30, 40, $60 a patient. And that, you know, you've got in my my uh, sphere here, I've got overhead. I've got, you know, uh, a pract- another practitioner to pay. I've got the rent to pay. I've got myself to pay ultimately. And what's really sad is that at one point in the last couple of years after COVID, my nurse practitioner took home, his take-home pay was more than what I took home for myself out of my own business. That is not easy, folks. I've got three yep. kids in college. It's you know, how, uh, this is what drives me crazy about the current healthcare system. We will spend, we will pay $80,000 per person per year for dialysis. But we won't spend money on preventative care. Absolutely. Because what you're doing in many cases, uh, you're the you're the place where preventative care can be done. Absolutely. And that is probably where my heart and soul is in practice at this point. It's trying to find ways that I can prevent somebody from going down that road. Yeah. We can catch it. We can. And there are so many certain types of testing and lab tests and and things in a person's history and and things. This is not a mystery, folks. None of this is a mystery. We know we have treatments. We know what can prevent work. But we're so backwards. And we're like you say, how we are focusing or waiting until somebody gets uh, sick and then foot in the bill to just keep them alive. 
But, you know, I heard something the other day that kind of woke me up a little bit. And it is a lot of insurances, the way that they view coverage is that they don't like if they pick up a big corporation like, you know, USAA or and I'm not saying anything about anybody here in town or anything. But if they pick up a large corporation and the insurances cover them, they know by the next year that corporation is going to go out and get a bid for a new insurance to get a cheaper rate, a cheaper premium, and that they won't have to take care of all those people anymore. It'll get passed on to somebody else. So they want to spend as little as possible to do the coverage for one year until they can unload and get people away and pick up a new group of people and start over again. It's a money game. Dr. Pinkston, given the, the complexity of that, right? So just, you know, the complexity of everything you just described, how do we as ordinary people, you know, advocate for ourselves in an intelligent way? Because I never want to be that guy who says, well, yeah. I saw on web in, on, on Kevin, Dr. Kevin Googles, the, the following, right? How do you, how do we, in the midst of all that comp, that complexity, how do we advocate for ourselves in a rational manner that doesn't, you know, that strikes a balance between respecting the expert, expecting the expert to give us the best, the best opinion, but then at the same time realizing, hey, you're operating in a system and in an environment that sometimes can be uh, anti, anti-prevention for me as a patient. Right. That is a great question and probably the million dollar question as in if I could answer that I would have already mm-hmm. written my book and did the movie and be into it right now you know um, but I do think I do think there are things that we can do uh, first of all get to know who your congressman is there's a lot of insurances that are on a federal level there's a lot of insurances that are on a state level so get to know your governor's office your your senate and congressman and and write letters and just be the squeaky wheel it's easy to do in fact you can do a lot of those letters online now you can look it up and and i i would love to provide a website i know i have one somewhere and i, I can get that to you but You know, you just write a letter and write it often and just make sure that our politicians know, not that I have a lot of faith in, you know, the political field, uh, but I have met some people grassroots wise who are willing to do that. The other thing, too, is to educate yourself. Now, my education, I'm like you. I don't mean go to Google and just, you know, study things on your own, uh, you know, try to find solutions and answers on your own. But look at your area. Look at where is the doctor in a large mass system? Are they uh, on their own or do they practice a style of medicine that is geared more, you know, um, uh, more toward their continuing education or an integrative sense or whatnot, a prevention I think that you, most people really don't understand that they can hire and fire their physician. Just because your insurance assigns you to somebody doesn't mean that's who you have to go to. And as long as the doctor's on insurance, then they'll pay for it. But even some insurances will pay for doctors that are out of network. So if I don't take that insurance, I can still get a certain amount of payments from the insurance just because I'm out of network and that patient wants to choose me. Um, you know, I, I guess the taking back your, your power is about just educating yourself more about what's going on around you, you know, at a local level. We do have people in town that are great advocates. There are societies, um, you know, if it's cancer or rheumatoid or things like that, that are working on a national level to try to change medicine. And I do think right, like do. Texas Kidney Foundation, yeah, like the Texas Kidney. You, you want to join? You want to look at whatever it is that you have. Yes. So if it's if if uh, it's cancer, then you want to go look at that particular form of cancer. If it's yes. if it's uh, kidneys, look at the Texas Kidney Foundation. If it's diabetes, look at the American Diabetes Association. Right. You can educate yourself with those organizations and you can can kind of harness the power of those different groups and get involved that way 
when uh, you're dealing with your physician, because like with Texas Kidney Foundation, if there's something like say you you need to go see your physician, we have have uh, know your numbers so you can take that with you and go in, talk to your physician. You're a care team. Yes. It's not you against them. You're a team. Exactly. So engage that way. But you have the power and the agency to do what you need to do. You just have to go find the right people. Absolutely. Reggie, tell a little bit of your story on, I I know we shared it on the radio station, right? Your kidney journey, how you eventually uh, got to the right person who was able to to help you uh, uh, secure a transplantation. Whereas you've been told previously, even though Edie was a match, you're like, it's not a good match, but they didn't take it to the next level. And you, you went, you went to dialysis from there. Tell us a little bit about that. First, first thing to address uh, with Tiff uh, said about the uh, American Diabetes Association, you got to be careful. You got to read for yourself because they still got pork chops and stuff on 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 the menu. Eat, so. <laughs> Are you serious? You're not being sure. funny. I hope you're being funny. They still got beef and milk and all that stuff on there. But anyway, high um, purine stuff that shouldn't be there. But okay. Yeah. Right. 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 But anyway, um, no, my 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 journey, man, was you know um, when I found out, you know, I, I knew I had the kidney situation, um, but. My kidney doctor, he's a real good doctor. Everybody recommended him. He's a good doctor, but he never told me that it was to the point that I may need a kidney. I mean, he, was, he wasn't really, you know, going, you know, sometimes I think you have to advocate for yourself because, you know, so you, you know how your body, you, you know, we know our bodies better than the doctor know our bodies. You know, which, you know we know what we feel inside of us. And I remember I had a, a, a I had ruptured my uh, Achilles tendon on stage in, in Bermuda and I was, and, and I, I, I popped it. And um, so they just want to do surgery. And I said, no, I'm not going to do surgery. I'm just going to let it, you know, you know, grow back together. So what I, I used to do, I used to rollerblade. And every time I took the rollerblades off, it was stronger and stronger and stronger that I didn't have to get the surgery. And I was like back almost, I was like pretty much 100%. Now, doctors don't know this, you know, but that's what happened to me. I didn't have to get the surgery because I did the little, a little accidental thing. You know, I didn't even, I didn't know nothing about that, but. You know, and I just said that to say you have to advocate for yourself because sometimes when you're going to a doctor, you know, when I went to my kidney doctor, he was just telling me that, okay, we, we're going to try to do this, we're going to try to do that. And I don't know if he wanted to, I didn't, he didn't want to scare me, but I would rather be, you know, shocked into uh, doing the right thing in order to do this, like, sugar coating. So he never really told me that this kidney situation, I was going to have to probably go on dialysis or whatever, but another doctor that uh, I met on the accident because I had a little heart palpitation and I went into that doctor and he told me, he said, hey man, you have to, you probably have to get your kidney. We do a exchange program. You know, you want to get a kidney, blah, blah, blah. You know somebody that want to give you a kidney, don't have to be a perfect match. If they want to donate, they'll donate. So my wife was my donor and, um, you know, we was a perfect match, man. Everything matched, but her size was just, she was a lot smaller than me. So they wanted to get a kidney that, that matched. Uh, my body type. So they found another one. My wife gave her kidney to a guy here in L.A. And my kidney, uh, I mean, uh, the girl kidney from, I think she was from North Carolina somewhere, went to her, uh, went to me. And she had a friend in Florida got a kidney because she gave her kidney to me. So her friend got a kidney because of her uh, uh, contribution. And that's how my my, uh, thing happened. So, um, you know, I knew something wasn't right with my body because, you know, the swelling that I was having and, um, you know, I just didn't feel right. You know, I mean, the doctor knew that also, but I, for some reason, he never mentioned a kidney transplant. He, he kind of mentioned in, in passing about dialysis, but it wasn't, um, he didn't take it to the point of the, what my doctor Maserani did in, in Long Beach. I mean, he was really adamant about me. Hey man, you got to, we have to do this now, you know. So I didn't have to stay on dialysis long, and um, got my kidney, and I'm fine now, you know. Can I say something about that? Because that is your story is so typical. I mean, hmm. typical. And I don't understand why doctors really don't want to open up and and give you even worst case scenario. Because I mean, this is your life, and 
What I have noticed personally about kidney disease and what I do here in my clinic is very, very different than what a lot of doctors do. And it's very different than what a lot of nephrologists do. I check uh, certain labs and, and try to detect certain things that I know affect the kidneys that a lot of doctors don't check. But I just like check like, the, like uric acid, for instance. There's Uric acid is a, a, a mineral that is in our blood. And, you know, we have to have some, but too much or too little of anything is never a good thing. And uric acid, when, when you're either eating too or consuming too much, making too much, or you're not getting rid of it, tends to, uh, you know, be in the bloodstream. It's very acidic. It's very uh, inflammatory. You know, when somebody gets uric acid in their joint and they get a red hot joint, it's called, you know, it's called gout, right? But if it's not in the joint, it's somewhere and it's going through your bloodstream. So it goes through the kidney, the brain, the heart, the blood vessels, and it's all very inflammatory, but you don't feel it. But I check kidney function every three months on, on many of the majority of my patients. If I see somebody slip below about 90 on their GFR, then I'm on it. That's it. Because if you let, there are some doctors I have, they've had a GFR of somewhere around, you know, like a 50, 40, even 30. I even had a guy who was 29 and I caught it and I sent him to the nephrologist and the nephrologist said, well, we're just going to watch it. I was like, at 29? And we have these medications called SGLT2 inhibitors. We have now Corindia. Yeah, (laughs) see, I took one of those a long time ago before they knew that SGLT2s were good for the kidneys. And I still, to this day, think that was part of what pulled me out. I took it for diabetes and to lose a little weight. And I still, to this day, it's called Invacana. And to this day, I will tell you that helps spare my kidneys. So we have these things. Why? I was like, you went to the nephrologist and he didn't put you on those medications? No. Just We've so- had them for 10 years. 10 yes. years. It was 10 years ago I had kidney disease. I took it. Never heard of it. just blows my mind. They just don't. <laughs> they don't check. So, you know, I've had people be very, very low in the GFR. They don't even get a, a kidney profile. There's very simple tests that you can do. This is treatable, catchable. Many doctors just don't. Do. I, I don't know. We I was never trained really well in, you know, the physiology of the kidney. It was more about blood pressure and just urination and UTIs and kidney infections and things like that. I didn't really learn about, you know, how to handle somebody in glomerular filtration, right, and creatine and all that. It was, you know, those are things that were just kind of swept to the side. And we, we have ways of treating kidneys these days. Nobody should go down with kidney disease. Nobody. Nobody. And that is... An awesome way to end this segment. And you've been listening to On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany on 930 AM The Answer, home of Conservative Talk Radio. Check us out at On the Record with Tiffany on YouTube. And all you have to do is look up On the Record with Tiffany and you will get to listen to us talk about freedom, opportunity, growth, and progress. If you like what we're talking about, or if you don't, Check us out on YouTube, on the record with Tiffany, and listen to what we have to say. Because we can guarantee you we're going to spark some debate at your house, just like at ours. And we're back on 930 AM, The Answer, home of Conservative Talk Radio, uh, with with On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany. All right, Dr. Pinkston, uh, can you pick up with that? Because I have this... It's a political view, right? I believe in American exceptionalism. And I always say, if there's a way to figure something out, we're going to figure it out, right? And I want to go back to what you were talking about with the SGLT2 inhibitors and the other, uh, just in terms of all the solutions that we have for Mm -hmm. kidney disease. Talk a little bit about that as a primary care physician. You know, primary care physicians have a lot more power than we ever have given, been given credit for or give ourselves credit for. We are the gatekeepers and we can find things and we just need to be a lot more open about really digging and looking and staying up to date. 
Tiffany, you were right. This medication came out a very long time ago, and we didn't know back then that it had such you know strong uh, effects on the heart. I mean, these medications, the SGLT2 inhibitors, so that is Farxiga, Jardiance, and Invokana. Even though Invokana hasn't really uh, joined the study crowd, I do think it's a class effect, and it did work for me. So I, I mention it. But these medications have great effects on bringing blood pressure down a little bit, bringing your blood sugar down. They help people to lose weight. They have great effects on lowering a congestive heart failure and heart attacks and strokes. Maybe not strokes, but heart attacks. I think the stroke data will come at one point. And then the kidney data. And so we have known for a very long time that these medicines work. Most insurances, if you code, if a doctor will code, you know, for the medication at the pharmacy correctly, most insurances will cover it. If they kick it back the first time, all we have to do is just call the insurance and say, look, they got kidney disease or heart disease. Oh, okay, well, we'll cover it. It's it's simple. And I just, I don't know, as far as the, the newer one called Corindia, this is one that I just learned about really in the last year or two now. And it has been well studied and is, has an enormous amount of data about improving a kidney function, and it will have uh, a lot of, uh, of improvement for other inflammatory disorders with the heart and all. Dr. Carl Dukes here in town uh, is a great nephrologist. I trained under him, and he taught me a lot about passion, let me tell you. But um, but he, you know, gives a, a talk on this medication, and I just, uh, we, we just got to get the word out. People just have to know. There's supplements we can use you know, as well, uh, cordyceps and lion's mane are two uh, great supplements. Um, you know, even something called Alka-Seltzer Gold. I and mean, you always need to check with your physician. Don't start any of these things that I suggest if you don't go over this with your physician. You know, you've got medications. You've got a history that I don't know. But Alka-Seltzer Gold is the old, you know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. But it helps to alkalinize uh, the body and to reduce the acidity that uh, goes through the kidneys. I mean, there's just so many things. And it's just, it's just so simple. It's just so simple. Wow. You know, I I say this all the time, and we we talk about this um, that there should be more advocacy for primary care and for the pay models to change mm-hmm. so that uh, preventative care is at the top of the list because right. they talk about this and say, oh, you know, we want you to do preventative care. Come on, Marianne, we want you to do preventative care at your practice. But we all know that the actual payday yeah. for docs does, it doesn't go towards preventative. No, it goes in your, you know, cardiovascular uh, cath lab or, you know, nothing against cardiovascular docs. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bashing anybody, but, you know, these big hospital testing and things like that, you know, that is where uh, the money tends to fall in the specialty line. And yeah, in primary care, it does get, uh, get, get pushed to the side. When I first got into primary care 23 years ago, I was looked down upon. I can't tell you how many doctors wouldn't even get on the phone with me to talk about a mutual patient because I was a family person practitioner. It's different now, thank goodness. But uh, but yeah, it, we've really struggled to get to the, the top of our, our world to let you know people know. I do know a lot about a lot. I don't specialize in one area. I know a lot about a lot and and very much an advocate to, to get people to the right places where they need to go and right there. Well, we, we're still- See one thing. Um, 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 one, one thing Dr. Harley ever talk to you about is nutrition you know and um yeah. my my cholesterol has been high for a long time long long time of cholesterol been high. so i i just totally you know i was doing vegan every now and then you know every now and then i do it to it since christmas no meat no high cholesterol at all mm-hmm. when it took my cholesterol i even had numbers to spare because i didn't eat meat for the whole and now I, like I was telling uh, Kevin the other day that the woman that I had a kidney from wrote a letter uh, to me and said that she's been vegetarian all her life. So for some reason now, I don't even like meat no more. <laughs> so, it's the kidney. It's going to fit me, but I don't, I I, I don't have high cholesterol anymore because yeah. I, I, can't even, I can't even stand 
eating, I can't even stand the smell of it now for some oh. reason. Unless it's barbecue. <laughs> I, I love the way barbecue smells, so that's gonna be my test when I come back to Texas. If I really I did the cruise, didn't even touch the buffet when it came to the meat part. Of the meat. So that's that's how I know that I think I'm over it because you know, and, and, it, and it helped me out, but doctors never really, they never really told me, okay, you got high cholesterol, cut down, you know, on the, on the, the beef or the, you know, to me, all meat is the same because it's still flesh, you know, so, you know, what if the animal's sick and I'm eating with the animal, you know, I'm eating that sick animal. I might, have, I might have, I might the disease that the animal have, you know. <laughs> That's a great point. And if you don't mind, I don't, I you know, I, I have kind of a little bit different view and, and what everybody does on their own, what makes them feel good and, and works for them works for that's fine. No problem. Right. I'll tell you, I lost 171 pounds and straightened up my diabetes and cholesterol eating beef every day. So it, I heard you do that. I heard that. I heard, I heard people do that. Before, yeah. So I think what happened was back in uh, back in the late early nineties or so. Um, Oprah Winfrey went after the beef industry. Remember the big trial up in Amarillo and everything. We had a lot of things that occurred during this time too, like the um, you know fat is bad, so no saturated fat, no trans fat. So they took fat out of everything, and then they added in the sodium and the carbohydrates. Remember Snackwell's cookies and things like that. So we took all the, then we were carboholics after that. Then they decided that the world is starving. Remember the people starving in Africa and feed the world and all of that. And they genetically, this is what happened. They genetically modified food. So the soy, the peanuts, corn, especially, and wheat, they genetically modified it so that American crops could grow out of season. So they could double the crop size and then they could take the heads of corn and double the size of the corn. So we started eating all these genetically modified foods and we became allergic to them. The next thing that happened then, we grew too much corn. So what did they do in order to subsidize the farmers then? They started making high fructose corn syrup. So they started putting that into everything. I mean, it is just this onslaught of things that the food industry has done. Like McDonald's started supersizing. Then we started putting everything in a box and that's instant and, you know, all these things. The industry, and I always make the joke that the same industry that's trying to save us is the same industry that's trying to kill us. And we are we are strapped to these horrible foods. So if somebody eats beef and and the way that I do it is I definitely make sure that it's organic grass fed beef. And just one other thing about it real quickly, when it comes to organic, organic is a purchased label. So if you go into the store and you go to the organic section to buy something that they only have to meet 70% criteria in order to be organic. There can be a local farmer that grows 100% organic and they can't afford the labeling. So it goes into the regular section of the produce. There are little numbers on the produce, little stickers that they put on the produce that tells you where it came from, how it was grown and all of those things. Learn the numbers on the stickers and you'll know where your produce comes from. Because you can't even count on the organic labeling, so our foods are our foods are in killing us. It's terrible. Like the the co- I think you said I think I think you said the numbers that have the nine at the back the end of the numbers were like more the organic. You know I was I, I forgot, but he 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 had broke it down. But I tell you, when I eat a bag when I eat a bag of Doritos in America, I feel real icky. When I went to when I went to Germany and ate a bag of Doritos, I feel totally different. Yeah. It, they don't have the type of preservatives that we have over here in our country. So people go people go to jerk to Europe and eat regular and lose weight. Absolutely. Eat, eat like they eat over here, the same foods and lose weight. But you come over here and eat those same foods, oh man, you got problems. You're right. <laughs> you are you are absolutely right. Oh yeah. 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 I, I feel like the uh, well, I know like after um just just eating the way I was eating after my mother passed away, uh, you know, eating for comfort or whatever, because um, I picked up weight after my mom passed. I picked up like 40 pounds. And, uh, and I started eating. Uh, I, previously, I was eating from the outside of the store and then basically the outside aisles. And I'm back to doing that again. But eating the processed foods, eating Doritos and any of those little things like that. It's like, you can't stop eating it. Like they put something in it. Yeah. 
But what you're saying is true because the carbohydrates that they use, like the high fructose corn syrup or things like mm-hmm. that, the genetic mm-hmm. wheat, that lights up the same pleasure center in the brain that heroin and cocaine light up. It is an absolute reward system that is built into our foods. I'm telling you, the same ones that are saving us are the ones that are killing us. They have modified foods to make us more addicted, and they do the advertising to draw us in and everything. They know what they are doing, folks. They know. There is no no organic corn in existence in America. Not all the corn is genetically modified. Or soy. (laughs) Soy either. Yes, soy too, right? Oh, yeah. Soy. In the midst of all of that, right? So, just our, our space is kidney is kidney disease, and then uh, and by proxy, uh, um, diabetes, diabetes and well, hypertension, right? Yes. And so, uh, a big thing that we often get when we encounter people is asking questions of like, where do I start, right? And I always list on the YouTube channel. I'll list a lot of like the the right websites to go to. Like, hey, I'd go to these websites. Don't want to go to, you know, Mama and Nim's uh, kidney blog. That's not the that's not the site you want to go to, right? But there, we don't have to guess. There are there, there are scientifically proven things. There's blood work that you can get that indicates your numbers. You as a doctor, you look at that blood work. You look at EGFR, right? And and, and then the quicker we find. Uh, a, a chronic kidney disease or derogation of your kidneys, there is medication out there that can that you can take, and also along with slight adjustments in lifestyle. Yes. Right. Uh, in California, it's easy for Reggie to be vegan. Right. There's one on every other corner. Here in Texas, I'm not oh vegan. my god, I'm not, it's vegan. Hard. <laughs> I'm not vegan. I'm more vegetarian. Vegetarian. I'm sorry. I, I, I like my cheese in there. <laughs> you know, but we have to make those adjustments, but it starts sure. with knowledge of of knowing your numbers, right? And you've been listening to On the Record with Kevin and Tiffany on 9:30 a.m. The Answer, home of Conservative Talk Radio. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 9:30amtheanswer.com and join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 9:30 a.m. The answer.